Good morning. Happy Mother's Day to the mothers. Um, a couple of disclaimers before we start. First, you'll notice in the, uh, in the bulletin, we had a Rocky and Bullwinkle-esque title with uh, two options. If you like, you can scratch out the first option. Uh, we are talking mothers and sheep today. <laughs> Second disclaimer. Second disclaimer. Um, I had a hard time reading through this talk uh, without crying at a couple points this morning. So I've tried to work that out, but there might be some tears here anyway. And Jenny tells me that that's okay because Mark Weber often cries at announcements. <laughs> Mark's not here to defend himself, so we'll just kind of continue with that. Oh. Hi, Mark. <laughs> okay. So, I'm one of the very fortunate people in the world who got to know two loving grandmothers who's grown into adulthood, still being cared for by my mother, and who's been able to bear witness to the beauty of motherhood as a husband to a wonderful mother. If mothers were created in God's image, then I've been lucky to have a front row seat to witness some of the most beautiful parts of God. My paternal grandmother, my noni, arrived from Italy at Ellis Island as a 16-year-old without any family on a boat full of men coming to work in North America. Some of my warmest memories growing up were in my noni's kitchen. Every once in a while, I have a meal that reminds me of the smell of her home. Noni was a beautiful, faithful woman. I recall her dog-eared prayer book with many notes resting at the arm of her couch ready for evening prayer. The description of Tabitha in the reading from Acts today reminded me quickly of my Noni. Many of you have grown up with similar women in your lives, steady caregivers, steadfast disciples, beautiful craftswomen. And how about that beautiful detail in the story? After those who loved Tabitha summoned Peter from a town 10 miles away and brought him to the house, and while they were still weeping, they took Peter to show him the clothes that Tabitha had sewn. Her gifts of love poured out for others. It's a beautiful detail, I think, that Tabitha's loved ones stopped to show Peter the evidence of her holiness. The same holiness we see here in prayer blankets sewn, in work weekends at camp, in food at banquets. The story in Acts is part of a larger arc from 1 Kings chapter 17 where Elijah raises the widow's son from the dead. The Lord heard Elijah's cry. To the synoptic gospels where Jesus raises a synagogue leader's daughter. Little girl, I say to you, get up. Through this story and on to Acts 20, where Paul revives a young man who died during Paul's long speech to a group of Ephesians. Don't be alarmed, he said. He is alive. This arc is important for connecting prophets to disciples. And the connection is clear because of all the dying and rising. But it's something even more fundamental about it. It's about God listening, about faith in God and about God being near when we call. And I'll take these qualities of God, listening, caring, 
being near when we call as an opportunity to segue back to mothers. My maternal grandmother, known to almost all as Neen, was a faith-filled matriarch of the Hogan clan. She was the only person in a house of seven in Niagara Falls, New York, to work during the Great Depression. And she supported her family as her siblings all went off to college. Her three brothers became a judge, a postmaster, and a state senator, and her baby sister worked as a chemist. Grandma frequently recalled the difficulty of watching her three brothers enlist after the, bomb, after the bombing of Pearl Harbor. And she lived by herself for her last 26 years after my grandfather's early death. Even though grandma was the oldest of her siblings, she outlived each sibling and their spouses and their cousins. She was familiar with loss. She was kind, gentle, loving. Our family frequently recalls how Neen seemed to have a saying for any situation. In a time of frustration, she'd be known to say, as it is a day, so let it be a day. Throw another herring on, Judy. <laughs> I don't know, Judy. <laughs> Where is last winter's snow? Was her common response for a question for which she didn't have a ready answer. During the retelling of a story, when Hector was a pup, meant a long time ago. And in response to any French sentence, Allez au tableau noir and écrivez la verbe être dans la tense primitive was her sure response. When her grandson was sad after breaking up with a girlfriend, she would say, another streetcar will be along in five minutes. And the first time I got to speak to her alone after she met Jenny, she said, oh, I like her. She's a keeper. I'm so glad she's not a soprano. <laughs> the last two might not have been common sayings, but they stick out to me. Of all of Neen's sayings, there were a few that stand out to all of us who knew her. As a good Catholic, her response to any, uh, any immediate need whether it be lost car keys, a big test, impending medical diagnosis, was to say three Hail Marys. There may not be a person alive in the world that she didn't call love. And I've yet to see any written communication from her that didn't end with the phrase, love and God bless. And her most common prayer, the one that we heard most often and that we still regularly recite, was her most simple. Thank you, God, for everything. Psalm 23 cues very specific memories, feelings, and thoughts for many of us. Perhaps it brings a memory of a dark valley or a green pasture. Perhaps it bounces off many points of a constellation for you. For me, in preparing for this Mother's Day, it reminded me strongly of the mothers in my life. Those women created in God's image who walked with me who didn't watch me go into the valley, but came with me through it. Who helped me lie in green pastures and overflowed my cup. I thank God for those women because of who they are, but also because, how, because of how they could give me a hint of God's love. 
In my working and volunteering, I'm in regular contact with parents who long to connect with their teenage children, but whose children are regularly making compounding and painfully bad choices, who seem to be pulling away. Often, the regular litany of social services and waiting lists simply can't activate quickly enough, and there's no immediate clear path out of a very dark valley. In these times, I often offer a quiet prayer of support for these families, sounding a lot like Psalm 23. But the message that many parents appreciate hearing in this, situ in this situation, when they desperately long for reconnection with their teenage children, is that sometimes our most important role as a parent is just making sure that our children know they are loved, that we'll be there for them, whenever they come through the valley. Because we are with them through the valley. We love and honor them always. It's an act of faith to believe that our love as a parent does matter and that our children can understand it and value it even when they seem to be fighting against it. And this is only a shadow of how God loves us. Through all of our bitterness, brokenness, sin, God loves, perseveres, and longs for us to return to the fold. As I said at the outset, I'm one of the fortunate people. The mothers in my life have shaped my sense of self by ensuring that all of my life's experiences were couched in love and faith in God. Of course, not everyone grows up with the experience of a present and loving mother. The impact on young people who long to connect but cannot is stunning. Jenny and I have over the years ached at the impact of broken maternal connections as we have been foster parents. There's no earthly replacement for a mother, just as, those no, just as there is no worldly replacement for God. The metaphor of sheep and shepherd ties Psalm 23 to today's passage from John. Uh, I'd like to share a commentary on sheep and shepherds from the Reverend Dr. Cheryl A. Lindsay, Minister for Worship and Theology at the United Church of Christ. Sheep aren't concerned with doctrinal debates or creedal commitments. They struggle because their nature does not want to be confined. Even though the shepherd's primary motivation is protection, the sheep fights against their own benefit. They wander off in different directions. They require work, attention, energy, and patience. The sheep demonstrate their trust in the shepherd, not through agreeing with truths about the shepherd. The sheep show belief in the shepherd by trusting the direction of the shepherd and walking with the freedom of the boundaries established by the shepherd. Jesus was questioned by people who were frustrated by him, but he was followed by people who were fascinated by him. Jesus was rejected by those who felt threatened by him and embraced by those who found hope in him. Jesus was confronted by those who challenged his authority, but was approached by those drawn to his unique power. 
followers of Jesus then and now don't always know what to think about Jesus, but have, conv- have been convinced to some extent Jesus offers a way forward towards a future with hope and life abundantly. In the reading from John today, Jesus tells those questioning him that they do not believe because they don't belong to his sheep. His sheep hear his voice. He tells them that the works that he has done in God's name testify to him. I wonder if it's harder to be a person of religious faith today. I wonder if we might be living in a time when it's harder than ever to hear the shepherd's voice. In decades or centuries past, would it have been easier to put a faith in a God of the unknown when so much more was unknown? Is it harder to find a need for God in an age of science? It might appear so. Canadian census data shows growth in religious unaffiliated people in Canada a growth from 4% in 1971 to 25% in 2011. A 2011 survey conducted by Ipsos Reid showed that 47% of the Canadian population believe that religion does more harm than good in the world, and 64% believe that religion provided more questions than answers. A 2018 Pew Research Center study found that 64% of adult Canadians say religion has a less important role in their country than it did 20 years ago. And a more recent study from the Pew Research Center in 2021 tells us that regular churchgoers are far more likely to say that most things in society can be pretty clearly divided into good and evil. So, there are fewer people affiliated with any religion, more people saying that religion is doing harm, Many people saying that religion provides more questions than answers, and more people who go to church believing that the world is clearly divided between good and evil. I can't help but wonder how much we're seeing faith in God replaced with faith in earthly ideologies. How common is it for people to be shepherded by their social media feeds? How often are people convinced to put their beliefs into ideologies that are fed by media outlets of their choosing, whether they be on the left or the right? Isn't the proliferation of misinformation and conspiracy theories in popular culture a sign of how humans long to believe in something? I don't really have any idea of the answers to those questions. But as a person who tries to find a balance of right and left news and commentaries to digest, it strikes me that there are many opportunities to become immersed and succumb to voices that are not the shepherds. Maybe more opportunities than ever. I don't know if I'm right or wrong about that, but I'm confident that it's something to be careful of. And I'm also confident my mom loves me very much. And in reflecting on today's readings is that very real sense of a mother's love, a love that can never be proven or seen, that can remind us of the shepherd, the one who walks with us the whole way through the valley, the one who guides us and provides for us, the one whose love we can feel without a word being spoken, 
the one to whom we belong, the one in whom we believe. Thank God for moms. Thank moms for faith in God. And thank you, God, for everything.